The following program is a paid advertisement. The views reflected on this show are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000. Doctor? 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 You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. And hello again, everyone, and welcome into another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. My name is Steve Cashel. I'm radio host of the Chicago Bulls. In a few minutes, I'll be joined by my co-host, Dr. Brian Cole, head team physician for the Chicago Bulls and co-team physician of the Chicago White Sox, sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush and Rush. University Medical Center. As always, we're going to talk about a number of sports injury-related topics. We also have our website. Please visit sportsmedicineweekly.com. We're back to get it going right after this on ESPN 1000. I've been having knee pain for quite some time and did what probably a lot of people do. I just ignored it and hoped it would go away. After a month, I couldn't take the pain anymore. I went to my family orthopedic. He told me that I needed physical therapy. When I received my prescription for therapy, the first thing I did was search PT companies online. I came across ATI Physical Therapy. It's close to home, has some great reviews, and when I called, they verified my insurance scheduled me right away. No wait. Everything was so easy. And the staff was great. They kept my doctor informed of my progress along the way. Honestly, I look forward to going to my appointments. ATI made me feel like my recovery was their most important priority. I'd recommend them to anyone needing physical therapy. The experience was something I'll never forget. To learn more about what it's like to be a patient at ATI Physical Therapy, visit ATIPT.com and start your journey to get back to your best today. ATIPT.com. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. And we're back on Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole. Reminder, our website is sportsmedicineweekly.com. Be sure to follow our blog for lots of valuable content on fitness, nutrition, sports injury prevention, and treatment. Sportsmedicineweekly.com. Dr. Cole, you know, for years um, we were used to seeing older patients have the majority of hip conditions. But that's changing, isn't it? We're getting to see some younger. I want to know how, how much younger. Well, Steve, I'll tell you, it's not like the knee where that's somewhat of an epidemic, but we see patients who have sports injuries who get the same kinds of tears in their hip, for example, that we see in the shoulder. And I'm seeing more and more individuals who are presenting with arthritis at an early age, and it's a super challenging problem because unlike the things that we can do in other joints, for example, the shoulder and the knee, where they may present with more advanced disease, we can treat them non-surgically. There's some less invasive uh, non-replacement opportunities. The hip is one of those things that once it becomes symptomatic and it's associated with arthritis at any age, we really struggle to get these people better with anything other than joint replacements. So it's one of those unmet needs. But the good news is, um, as, uh, as you know, we'll, we'll likely to hear about, um, is that when they do come to joint replacements, they can do extremely well. It's just what kinds of activities can they partake in. You know, let me stop you right there. When you say arthritis, I'm always thinking uh, 60 and over. You know, I, I see arthritis in uh, 12 and 14 year olds. Is that right? Yeah. Arthritis. Yeah. Arthritis. Just to be clear what arthritis is, arthritis is when cartilage is lost across a joint surface. So think of that white, glistening, smooth cartilage. Arthritis is actually when that cartilage sort of withers away. And then there's maybe bone spurs and uh, uh, exposed bone and people, they swell, they have weight-bearing pain, they can predict the weather. Uh, it's associated with motion loss and, and, and activity-related discomfort and so forth. Wow. Well, our topic, uh, what Dr. Cole and I are getting at, is the growing number of athletes and younger patients undergoing hip replacement surgery. And um, 
hipsforlife.org is a terrific uh, website about hip conditions and treatments. And uh, let's bring on our next guest in studio with us from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, a hip and knee replacement specialist, orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Richard Berger. Dr. Berger, how are you this morning? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me today. Well, thanks so much for uh, for being with us. This is interesting because, um, you know, I'm reading about this and hip arthritis at such a young age. Uh, you know, I've, I'll ask the same question I asked to Dr. Cole. What, what kind of age are we seeing? How young are we getting with this? We're getting very young. You know, the youngest hip I've replaced is 16. I just saw someone in my office yesterday from Texas, 18 years old, with a completely destroyed hip. He needs a hip replacement. He can barely walk. How does it happen? You know, there's lots of reasons. Lots of it is genetic. Some people get avascular necrosis where the hip just collapses for no reason. But mostly it's just wear and tear arthritis, and mostly it's genetic. Unlike knees that are related to weight, hips aren't. It's probably your mom and dad's fault, just like everything else. But if we have bad genes, you get arthritis, and there's nothing you can do about it. And we see patients in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, all the way to very old patients, but much more younger patients now. What, tell me, if you first, do you see differences in outcomes in our younger patients? Can, can a young patient achieve the same degree of pain relief as an older patient who has arthritis? Yes, in fact, even better. You know, now with this new kind of surgery that I developed that doesn't cut the muscles, ligaments, and tendons, so the hip can really get back to its normal state. Patients get back to a normal activity, and they forget they had a hip replacement. Visiting with Dr. Richard Berger, I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole. It's Sports Medicine Weekly. We're discussing hip and knee replacement uh, surgery and hip and knee replacement. And, I, I mean, you do a minimally evasive, right? Yeah, we do it without cutting the muscles, ligaments, and How tendons. does that happen? How does that, can you, you know, put it in layman's terms? And we're on radio here, but I'm really so interested. So it's like building a ship in the bottle. So the old way is you make a big incision, you cut the muscles, ligaments, and tendons, you dislocate the joint, that's rip it from the socket, then replace it, and then try to sew everything back together. It works pretty well, but it doesn't work great. As any athlete knows, once you tear the muscle, the muscle heals with scar tissue, and scar tissue never performs like the normal muscle. Yeah. The way that we do it now is we move the muscles aside. We don't cut them, we don't tear them. And therefore, when the new joint goes in, very quickly, the joint responds and gets back to normal. My patients go home the day of surgery, home. Wow. They're back to work easily in a week. They're back golfing in a week or 10 days. Now, their score isn't any better, but they are back golfing. And they're back to activities such as tennis in three or four weeks. Let me, let me ask you a question. I think one of the biggest challenges and the reason we have so, so, such an extended effort at finding alternatives to joint replacement is for our young patients because we're trying to make them more age-appropriate. But as I alluded to before, um, it's difficult in the hip. We don't have a lot of great options that seem to work as effectively as other joints. So let's say you have a young, active individual. You know, we know Bo Jackson, for example, had a replacement, and I think he tried to return back, right, he to uh, Major League Baseball. He did. And um, I th- correct me if I'm wrong, did he have early failure of his hip? He did, and that was old technology that wasn't done this new way, and he did. His hip failed. Okay. But now what we're seeing is very different. The technology we have now, the body grows into the prosthesis, into the replacement, and the replacement becomes part of you, and therefore that never lets go. The bearing, the part that rubs, that wears out, and that can be replaced in 15 or 20 or 25 years very easily. But these pieces now become part of you without ever letting go. All right, so let me, let me pretend I'm a patient. I want to ask you, so I'm, let's say I'm 24 and I have arthritis of the hip. Um, I'm going to have a hip replacement with you. How long will I be in the hospital? You'll be in the hospital for two or three hours. How long will I use crutches for? None. Um, how long should I expect it to last? You should expect it to last, depending upon how active you are. The bearing surface will wear out in about... 15 to 20 or 25 years. How likely is it that I'll get rid of my pain 
Um, 100%. And wow. what, what will you allow me to do? I would like to run. Can I run? There's things you can do and things you should, should do. The more active you are, the better the joint will work, but you're going to wear it out a little, a little faster. So how do you give, what kind of guidelines? Because I get asked this all the time by patients, and yeah. I sort of allude to exactly what you say. I say, look, you know, a couple things have to happen. One, you have to have the pain relief with those activities. From what I'm hearing from you is you say, look, it's likely you're going to get that pain relief. The second thing is you have to be able to accept some degree of risk. You know, think of it like a, a new tire on a wheel, right? You're going to drive that responsibly to preserve the, the tread, um, and you're going to have to make those decisions. But how do you really guide a patient? Because a lot of these people are in your office because they became very symptomatic. Maybe it was an injury, but it's because they're, they, they've loaded their joint in such a way that they've become very symptomatic and they can't shut it off until you replace it. How do you guide them? You know, that's a very difficult question, but what I do is I tell them once it leaves my hands, it's theirs. And just like tires on your car, if you drive like a maniac, it's going to wear out a little faster. But, you know, patients go back and do what they want to do. So I had a lady who ran the Chicago Marathon, finished in three and a half hours, six weeks after her total hip. Wow. I have a world record holder in the triathlon in his age group who made the world national championship after two knee replacements. So people get back to do what they want to do. Visiting with Dr. Richard Berger from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. I'm Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole at Sports Medicine Weekly. That was pretty good, Dr. Cole. You play the role of patient very well. Well, I mean, I... Good I questions, mean, because I mean, you get off that, that this is... This is these yeah, I mean, I, that, that's, asked, right? that's, that's, the, that's the life we live. I mean, that's what patients want to know. They're, yeah. they're A, they're, they're, they're concerned. They're afraid that if they do nothing, they're going to make it a whole lot worse. And they want to know if they can ever be active again. And most of these people are in your office because they want to be active. They're healthy otherwise, but they have one... They're fortunate enough to have one joint that's bothering them, but they have, those are their concerns. Well, I tell them they should get back to their life. They should really do anything they want to do with the understanding that if they do crazier things, it will wear out a little bit faster. Not a lot faster, but a little bit faster. I mean, yeah. we, we have new bearing surfaces that really work well now and, and may even last a lot longer than those numbers that I quoted of 15 to 20 or 25 years. If, if it does fail, what happens? Let's say that it, something were to loosen over time, which, correct me if I'm wrong, that's what the most likely mode of failure will be, is something will loosen no, you, or it'll wear out. Usually, usually what happens is the bearing surface wears out. The pieces that are attached to you, once the body grows into them, it never lets go. So is it, it the metal? Never lets go. Is it the metal that wears or the plastic it's that the wears? It's the plastic that wears. And, we, and the plastic is modular, so we go in with a very small incision, less than we did the first time, and we pop it out, we pop a new one in, and you're good for another 25 years. Brake liner change. Exactly. Brake liner change. <laughs> That's good stuff. And Dr. Berger is also uh, not only a pioneered the minimally invasive hip and knee replacement, uh, allowing patients to recover faster with less pain than uh, traditional a hip and knee replacement surgery. You also have a degree in uh, mechanical engineering from MIT. How has that helped you in your practice? Well, you know, I developed all of these instruments. I developed hundreds of instruments to do minimally invasive hip and knee replacement. And without that engineering degree, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So that's really helped me a lot. That's neat stuff. It really is fantastic. And uh, final question, what is stopping people, Dr. Berger, from, uh, who, need, who need a hip replacement from getting one? Well, you know, at this point, lots of people know about hip replacements. There's a fear about taking time off work, not being able to get back to, to things. So a lot of people who would benefit from hip replacement a lot Think of the old days where you had to take three, four, five months off work. What I do now, patients are back to work in a week. Instead of going down to Florida, come and get your hip replaced. You'll be good as new, 
and you'll be able to get back to everything you want to do, which is, I think, a good reason why we're seeing a lot more young people getting hip replacements now. It's not that there's more arthritis. The arthritis is the same. It's that people are unwilling to live with their disabilities and know there's this really wonderful miracle out there of a hip replacement that allow them to get back to everything they want to do. One of the things I tell patients when you say, look, the only option is a joint replacement, they look at you like, you know, that was a death sentence. I mean, I always tell them it's a new lease on life and to have a, a much more positive. The glass is way more than half full because it's a predictable way to get rid of their pain. And that, that's in comparison to a lot of other things which don't offer that. Final question, Dr. Berger. Uh, symptoms. All right, people listening to us out there, we had this discussion uh, a couple of weeks ago here on Sports Medicine Weekly because we've got hernias and we've got different things. How do we feel? We feel it down the leg. We feel it at the hip. Where do we feel? What, what are the symptoms? So the symptoms, the first symptoms most athletes think is they think they pulled their groin. Okay. So hip pain is in your groin. If it's, in the, if it's in your back or your buttocks, that's coming from your lower back. If it's on the side of your hip where everyone thinks their hip is, yeah. that's not their hip. If it's in the crease where your groin is, where your pant leg, where your leg meets your body, that's your hip. And it's very much in the front. It feels like a muscle pill at first, but it just doesn't go away, and it just gets worse and worse with time. Wow, different than a hernia, obviously, but that, that reminds me of something where a hernia would feel that symptom, right? Exactly, but hernias are more activity-related. And this just is a nagging toothache that never goes away. Well, wonderful stuff. Dr. Richard Berger from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Fantastic. Appreciate you stopping by. Thanks for having me. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole. Back with more of Sports Medicine Weekly after this on ESPN Radio. That's one way to end up on injured reserve. So is falling off a ladder, lifting something heavy. Ow, that's not good. Or having an accident. At work. Uh-oh. Athletico helps all kinds of people come back from injured reserve. Schedule a free injury screening at athletico.com and find out how physical therapy can decrease pain and discomfort, increase strength and mobility, and help you get back to doing the things you love to do. Athletico Physical Therapy. Better for everybody. Allosource's products help surgeons get their patients back into the game of life. Prochondrex, the latest solution from Allosource, is an innovative, cost-effective, fresh cartilage allograft designed to restore cartilage and restore movement. To learn more about Prochondrex, visit Prochondrex.org. That's P-R-O-C-H-O-N-D-R-I-X.org. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush is nationally recognized as a leader in comprehensive orthopedic services. As team physicians for the Chicago Bulls, Chicago White Sox, and Chicago Fire Soccer Club, their physicians understand the importance of quality care for high-performance athletes and weekend warriors. Regardless of the level of the athlete, recreational, high school, college, even professionals, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush strives to provide the highest quality, state-of-the-art health care services. To better serve their patients, they provide expert care across five Chicagoland locations with a new location in Munster, Indiana. Their cutting-edge research, diagnosis methods, and treatments make them the highest-ranked program in the state of Illinois by U.S. News & World Report rankings. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit them at RushOrtho.com or call 877-MD-BONES. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, when only the best will do. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN 1000. Back on Sports Medicine Weekly, our producer is Felix Reyes, our coordinating producer, Teresa Ann Seeger. Did I say it right, Dr. Cole? I think so. Tree Sand. Yes, the combination of Teresa and Ann. Yeah, Tree Sand. And she does a marvelous job setting up our interviews. And yeah, and then Dr. Uh, Cole's father, David Cole, does a wonderful job with our uh, business end of Sports Medicine Weekly. Yeah, he's, I, unbeknownst to you, he's like eight hours a day working on our website, doing it's great stuff. Updates, writing, Podcasts writing, and everything else. Writing our blogs, helping with that. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Marvelous man down in Boynton Beach, Florida, right? Yeah, he's having a good time. Good, have, if, good. If for any other reason, we have to continue the show for him. 
Okay, absolutely. I want to get the community <laughs> show for me. And by the way, so I'm at my son's baseball game last night, and people are saying, thank you for talking about the Little League injuries, which we do every now and then. Yeah. We had Dr. Nick Verma, head team physician with the White Sox. He was talking about the major league players. On, you know, It's funny because I asked some of my own questions to Dr. Verma, thinking of me and my other you know, uh, parents out there that are the parents of our um, of our athletes, of our young athletes, our 10-year-olds, our 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds. And you know what? Dr. goes also girls' softball. You know, those kids yep. throw so hard. And oh, it's amazing. Are you yeah. seeing people, and I'm going to lead to something here, because growing up, I never heard of a growth plate. It was never, I mean, I think, I didn't hear a growth plate until I was doing the Bulls, and Jerry Krause, the Bulls general manager, God bless his soul, um, talked about one of his players with growth plates. First time I ever heard it. When did you well, first hear you, of growth didn't plates? You, when you were younger, didn't people talk about how much, you, know, you go to the doctor, how long, how much more am I going to grow? That yeah. was always a kid, something that a kid would be I never heard of with, growth plates. Or, or more likely a parent, but basically that's all through the growth plate. So when people want to know when you get an x-ray, are my growth plates still open? A growth plate is basically, an, actually it's at the end of our long bones, like the femur, the tibia, for example, but we have them in the elbow, we have them up in the shoulder. Any long bone has a growth plate, and a okay. growth plate is an area that is not yet turned to bone. It's made of cartilage, and it's a softer part of the bone, but it's where we get longitudinal growth. Okay. So over time, that growth plate may be you know, a half a centimeter, a centimeter wide. It gets narrower and narrower as it gradually turns to bone, right? Okay. Uh, and then they get fused, and that's when you're done growing. But when they're not closed, that's where we get longitudinal growth. So the importance of it, that people always want to know, is you know how much more growth do I have? And it's largely predicated on how much, how how big the growth plates are. But so there's a lot of background to that. I mean, people always want to, when am I going to be done growing? And it's and it's really different between boys and girls. You know, I'd say on, on women, probably the average is 12 to 14. They're done growing, and boys somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 to 16 years of age. And it's usually like for women, they're done typically within a year of the time they get their period. For boys, it's basically within two years of their of the, uh, basically that pubertal growth spurt. You know, your kid, any of your kids had that yet where they basically have that growth? Your kids are still too young. Well, 10 and 12, the 12-year-old, yeah. I see. Yeah, though, so yeah. he gets that growth spurt. He's just, you know, he just grows like, yeah. like a leaf. In, in a and eating year. everything, house yeah. and home. Yeah. So typically within, within two years after he's had that, that's when he'll be done growing, but somewhere around 14 to 16 years of age. Interesting. Okay. And so um, how do you repair a growth plate? Have you seen growth plate fractures? Oh, absolutely. Things? Yeah. No, we what have does all that kinds mean? of growth plate problems. I mean, let's just, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but, you know, the, since you talk about Little League, the, the elbow is a big area where we see growth plate problems. So these okay. are pitchers who really have almost adult forces across the elbow. Think about, watch some of these kids when they throw. What we, you know, in the late cocking phase, there's what we call a huge valgus moment. It's like an angular force on the elbow. It's like think about if you take your thumb and you pull it to the outside, but then you put a ball in it and then you wind up and you go to late your late cocking phase of throwing. It's got some of the high, and for any sport that you could think of, those are some of the highest forces that the body will ever see when you're throwing a baseball. Yeah. So with an adult, what happens is they will tear a ligament. With a kid, they don't tear a ligament. They pull on the growth plate. And if you get repetitive activities and the growth plate starts to weaken, it's just like having a stress fracture. That area that's soft and cartilage breaks down and they actually fracture through the cartilage and they get something called little leaguer's elbow. And so rather than a ligament tear, the, the elbow gets very inflamed. Sometimes there's overgrowth of the inner side of the elbow, for example, an area called the medial or inner epicondyle, which is that bony prominence by your funny bone. Yeah. And a kid that's not fused to the main bone or the humerus, it gets pulled on repetitively. It gets very, very painful. And sometimes I get kids who they, they don't fuse, and they actually come in with a non-union. One side, their non-throwing arm will have a healed growth plate. In other words, right. it's fused. The, the other side arm, yeah. still looks like a growth plate because it was a. It never got the chance to heal because of prolonged stress over the elbow. Wow! And they end up having surgery, and it's a bit. I was going to ask you, surgery. when is it necessary for surgery in cases like that? Well, that's typically when they 
uh, when they re- if if they've never rested it and they can pl- continue to play through it, or even despite rest, it doesn't get better and stays painful. It just doesn't want to heal. There's not enough biology there to get it healed. So what we have to do is make an incision on the inner side of the elbow. We have to open up the area that hasn't healed. Take a sharp instrument and sort of freshen it up. Maybe drill a few holes and so forth. We often have to move the nerve, the ulnar nerve, which is that funny bone nerve. If you ever hit your elbow, move that out of the way. And then we'll use wires or screws to put it back down. It's a you know, fairly complicated surgery, wow. and it doesn't always work. So uh, um, something you want to stay away from for sure. So rest is the biggest thing, right? Don't yeah. fool with the elbow and the shoulder for these young throwers, whether you're a boy or a girl, right? The girl's pitching softball underhand or the, the yeah. boy's throwing baseball. And even if you're an outfielder, right, you feel that pain, shut it down. Yeah, I think if you, if I, you know, all things being equal, if I had to look at an adult versus a child with open growth plates, all things being equal, I would much prefer a kid not push through injury versus an adult if they really want to do it the risk of further injury is generally low with tendonitis and things like that it may prolong the condition but it's not necessarily going to lead to more pathology or abnormal anatomy do you follow me but in a kid if they don't respect their bodies yeah, that's you. a different issue like right. there's another condition in the elbow that is maybe related to the growth plate caused called uh, osteochondritis dissecans that's osteochondritis dissecans is a bone cartilage fragment that gets loose in the joint. like some Breaks the, off? Yeah, well, what the pediatric orthopedic surgeons and the pediatric uh, population would say that it's a satellite growth plate, a peripheral growth plate that's meant to fuse that never fused. Okay. Or through microtrauma, it compromises the blood supply through small sub-low levels of trauma that don't cause a fracture, but the repetitive energy that goes to the joint Makes sense, that yeah. leads to this area that never quite fuses, and it becomes a loose fragment of bone and cartilage. I see it in gymnasts, and I see it in baseball players. And uh, that often requires surgery too. When that that's less likely to heal, to remove it or to fuse it. Well, it's it's there's a lot of things that can be done. We even do transplants of the elbow when these become and remain symptomatic. But the most common is we do arthroscopy. We look inside and we literally pull the piece out, and the kids feel better very quickly, despite not having a little. They end up a little pothole in the end of the bone, but they end up feeling better almost immediately and get back to play uh, relatively quickly. And that's just all done through the camera. So solvable problem. But if you're a kid, like a gymnast who's doing, you know, um, you know, upper extremity routines, you know, flip-flops and, you know, uh, uh, the, the horse and all those other things where they're really loading their, their elbow, yeah. those kids can have long-standing problems. I mean, you see a number of gymnasts, and they, they can have issues that don't get better with standard treatment because the loads are so high across the elbow in them. Wow. So. How, how let's uh, talk, uh, Steve Cash and Dr. Brian Cole, by the way, on Sports Medicine Weekly, talking about uh, youth injuries and the, the overuse, basically, uh, Dr. Cole, again with icing, okay? Um, someone came up to me the other day and said, can I ice my nine-year-old's elbow after he pitches if he has pain? You can ice at any age, yeah, right? Yeah, you can ice. You know, there's, there's, an, there's an ongoing uh, controversy now. I, I don't know if it's controversial. Let's just call it a dialogue between ice and heat. And in general, you know, conditions that, have, that need blood supply respond more favorably to heat. And conditions that are, have too much blood supply that are associated with inflammation respond better to cold. So okay. that's just a basic rule of thumb. So there's acute overuse injuries where uh, ice is, I think, really, really helpful. Um, 20 minutes on, 20, 20 minutes, minutes off, But right? you got to be careful icing the elbow because the nerves are very superficial, and you can actually get a very numb hand and cause some cold trauma to the to the nerve. Well, that's so why they say put a... Yeah, put a towel there. You put it, yeah, you, you just got to be careful because sometimes the temperatures get like 38 degrees. They get, you know, ice can be pretty cold. And if you don't put something between the skin and the ice, 
it can get frostbite, some skin irritation, and even some temp, temp, usually temporary because you'll hopefully take it off. Well, ice in a bag isn't enough then, you're saying, right? Well, it can be enough. It can actually be too, be too much in some instances. When ice in a bag starts to melt, it gets very cold. It, I think the number's around 38 degrees or so, and that's pretty cold. Okay. So um, you got to be careful because you That's interesting. You, get you never think that ice could be too much, you know, it, it could be, be never too you, cold. I've seen frostbite. I've seen full thickness skin loss with ice before after surgery. Is that right? Yeah. So it can be, that's why we say limit it to 20 minutes. The other thing around the elbow is that it's 20 minutes around nerves, which are very superficial, so you got to be really careful. But yeah, you can ice a kid, and I think they should be, they should be doing icing their shoulders and icing their elbows after a day of pitching. There's absolutely no downside to doing that. Wow. Great stuff. Very, very interesting. And uh, again, uh, never heard about growth plates, but uh, it's becoming. Uh, uh, more commonplace now, and uh, doctors. Well, kids are, have more opportunity you know, to participate in sports. They have more opportunities for overuse. Um, they're being pushed harder. They're playing in multiple. You know, the, it's not just the baseball team that you see your kids at. It's the three other teams are playing at the exact same time. So they're not getting the rest they need. They're not taking the two months off obligatorily that they probably should be. They're not cross training in sports and playing multiple sports. So all those, excuse me, all those things are big deals for these kids when they're not seeing any rest. You so do believe in multiple down. sports, right? I mean, trying to isolate think, with uh, one just is too much you know, for the I think overuse. It just, I think it just depends on the age. I think it, my personal belief at a younger age is that these kids should be doing more than one sport. It, muscle coordination is a big deal. It teaches uh, it teaches them uh, uh, teams, you know, teamsmanship and and and. and and how to be uh, a good participant and teaches them leadership. And, you know, there's some sports which are individual sports, some which are group sports. So I think for the very, just for the very fact that it teaches them basic principles of life, it's important to be in different sports. But from a physical point of view, it pre- it's more likely to prevent overuse because they're cross-training other muscle groups. And frankly, I think it generally makes them better athletes overall. I don't think that's necessarily the case as they start to specialize when they get older. I think there's some value in specializing when they get older. But, you know, these very young, skeletal, mature athletes, I think, just look at some of the major athletes, some of the best athletes in the world. They play more than one sport. You know, think they about should, some of yeah. So um, it's not uncommon where you hear professional athletes that they're trying to choose between, you know, football and basketball or, 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 or football and baseball. I mean, it's not just because they're genetically engineered that way or wired. They're actually, there's some training that goes on, that 10,000-hour rule, you know, that they do when they're very young. Go the so, baseball route. <laughs> a lot of people choosing baseball yeah, or football. That's true. And Dr. Cole, uh, back to the, I got another minute, back to the baseball pitchers. I mean, do you believe in throwing overhand compared to the sidearm of obviously the curveballs and the, you know, different sliders well, and things? Yeah, I mean, the challenge is, yeah, I mean, look, there's there's clearly been a lot of significance and importance on sidearm throwing in the skeleton, immature or young adult athlete. Um, the, the challenge is probably relates as much to velocity and power as it does to how they're throwing. Okay. So it's not only the fact, and then fatigue. Uh, so it's not only the fact they're throwing sidearm, but the forces across the elbow uh, when they're trying to throw curveballs before the growth plates are closed. There's no question there's data to support that that can lead to growth plate injuries and maybe when they're on the cusp of maturing growth plates closing, maybe even onocleidal ligament injuries. But it, it, it that's not the only variable, but that's one that we worry about is certainly throwing curveballs. We always say throwing curveballs before you can shave or breaking balls before they can shave, right? Um, it's probably not a good idea. Uh, clearly, the forces are going to be greater with these sidearm throwing uh, across the inner side of the elbow than when they do an overhead throw. Good stuff. Back with more of Sports Medicine Weekly after this. On ESPN Radio. That's one way to end up on injured reserve. So is falling off a ladder, lifting something heavy. Uh, ow! That's not good. Or having an accident at work. Uh-oh. Athletico helps all kinds of people come back from injured reserve. Schedule a free injury screening at athletico.com and find out how physical therapy can decrease pain and discomfort, increase strength and mobility, and help you get back to doing the things you love to do. Athletico Physical Therapy, better for everybody. 
feeling tired, sluggish, and overweight? If you're looking to lose weight and gain energy, join us in Karen Mulkin's 14-Day Transformation Cleanse. You're going to absolutely love this Whole Foods cleanse. You'll feel great, lose weight, build lean muscle, improve sleep, boost metabolism, and enhance athletic performance. This VIP done-for-you cleanse comes with a 14-day transformation wellness bag containing MCT Lean Vegan Protein Blend, Fat-Burning MCT Lean MCT Oil, snacks, superfoods, recipes, guidelines, videos, and other surprises. You will absolutely love this program. Sign up at 14daytransformation.com. That's the numbers 14daytransformation.com or visit Karen's website at karenmalkin.com. That's K-A-R-E-N-M-A-L-K-I-N.com. Allosource's products help surgeons get their patients back into the game of life. Prochondrex, the latest solution from Allosource, is an innovative, cost-effective, fresh cartilage allograft designed to restore cartilage and restore movement. To learn more about Prochondrex, visit Prochondrex.org. That's P-R-O-C-H-O-N-D-R-I-X.org. I've been having knee pain for quite some time and did what probably a lot of people do. I just ignored it and hoped it would go away. After a month, I couldn't take the pain anymore. I went to my family orthopedic. He told me that I needed physical therapy. When I received my prescription for therapy, the first thing I did was search PT companies online. I came across ATI Physical Therapy. It's close to home, has some great reviews, and when I called, they verified my insurance scheduled me right away. No wait. Everything was so easy, and the staff was great. They kept my doctor informed of my progress along the way. Honestly, I looked forward to going to my appointments. ATI made me feel like my recovery was their most important priority. I'd recommend them to anyone needing physical therapy. The experience was something I'll never forget. To learn more about what it's like to be a patient at ATI Physical Therapy, visit ATIPT.com and start your journey to get back to your best today. ATIPT.com. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush is nationally recognized as a leader in comprehensive orthopedic services. As team physicians for the Chicago Bulls, Chicago White Sox, and Chicago Fire Soccer Club, their physicians understand the importance of quality care for high-performance athletes and weekend warriors. Regardless of the level of the athlete, recreational, high school, college, even professionals, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush strives to provide the highest quality, state-of-the-art healthcare services. To better serve their patients, they provide expert care across five Chicagoland locations with a new location in Munster, Indiana. Their cutting-edge research, diagnosis methods, and treatments make them the highest-ranked program in the state of Illinois by U.S. News & World Report rankings. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit them at RushOrtho.com or call 877-MD-BONES. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, when only the best will do. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. That's all the time we have for this edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. Many thanks to our coordinating producer, Teresa Ann Seeger, our board operator and producer, Felix Reyes, as well as David Cole for operating our website and doing our business side of Sports Medicine Weekly. For Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel. Thanks for listening. Talk with you again next Saturday at 8.30 for another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly, only on ESPN Radio. The preceding program was a paid advertisement. The views reflected are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000. 